open your cerebral cortex and shift your lobes into upper beta phase because you are going to have Bitcoin knowledge transmitted directly into your vestibulocochlear. Your host of Bitcoin Knowledge is Trace Mayer, an early Bitcoin advocate since it cost a quarter, but this is not intended to be investment advice. A doctor of jurisprudence, but this is definitely not legal advice. And an investor in core cryptocurrency infrastructure, including Armory, BitPay, Kraken, and Mitagio, but this is not a recommendation of those services. Here, you get fed via direct mind download with pure and free Bitcoin knowledge. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. Uh, last night, I was uh, just finished eating at the most fabulous restaurant down in Times Square. I had a friend in from town, and uh, we both happened to be in New York, and we went outside and started walking around Times Square. And good gracious, on the NASDAQ, we had a big ad from Noble Markets bringing digital currency to the world. And guess who we have here today? We have the CEO of Noble Markets, John Betts. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Frank. Pleasure to be Before we dig into this NASDAQ news, uh, which is really cool in my opinion, tell me a little bit about your background. We've been talking about it before the podcast. Uh, you'd started a commercial ISP. You've got traditional banking experience with Morgan Stanley and Goldman and uh, why not? Can you kind of give us a little bit of that background and how it's applied and kind of led you into this fintech space, this cryptocurrency space with Bitcoin? Certainly. Thank you. Uh, I started my career putting in accounting packages for companies and corporations. And part of that sort of turned that business into an internet service provider that we sold to UNIT WorldCom and DataTech to become UNIT Africa. And back in those days, nobody knew what the internet was. So it's a lot of like the challenges we've had with Bitcoin over the last few years when you explain to someone, what is Bitcoin? How do I use it? Why is it important to me? The internet was the same 22 years ago. So a lot of the practice was going around to businesses and explain this, how this is going to solve the problems that they have today and how it's also going to allow them to innovate, which I thought was a, a very kind of key skill. And it's something that's certainly served me well throughout my career. And, and how do you leverage, leverage technology to solve key business problems and, and innovate new business products and, and solutions? After I sold that, I was a management consultant in Europe for several years, multinationals across the range of different industries. And the last 12 years, I've been based here in New York, focused on financial, financial technology companies. I worked at Morgan Stanley, where I ran all electronic trade execution for the Institutional Securities Group, as well as uh, designed a lot of the trading systems and the tools we use to manage the flow. Once again, you know, if you think of in, in 2004, trading was very siloed and very fragmented. And over the last 10 years, you know, now you can connect to a broker dealer and you can trade any asset class across any exchange around the world from one point of entry. Uh, and if we look at what we have in Bitcoin and how it's evolved, we still have a lot of that fragmentation. And I think having the ability of having that interconnectivity of capital and access certainly helps the markets. It helps those who can participate in the markets. The model we created at Morgan Stanley was called Trade Plant. A lot of other banks wanted to emulate that. Um, I was hired to go to Goldman Sachs to help them implement that there. And then the last six years, we've been focused on financial technology companies serving mostly back into exchanges, investment banks, broker-dealers, and hedge funds, and what are the products and services that we can offer and how we can create innovation in an agile startup mechanism and help advance those industries. And it was during this time that, uh, like a lot of people have been following Bitcoin, 2013, 
price started to go up every time it, it had a multiple effect. I'm like, wow, I really got to get into this. Uh, my trading background. <laughs> got, got to chase the rabbit, man. Got Absolutely. to chase the rabbit. <laughs> and, you know, it's like my trading background, you know, I, I should be able to do this from my own personal account and, and make some money. And there started to be some problems, the ripple effects initially with some of them, but instant and Mt. Gox, you know, had, had issues. And quite frankly, there wasn't a counterparty on exchange that I felt comfortable trading with and doing business with. Once again, put that in the back of my mind, the price kept going up. I'm like, wait, I really got to start paying more attention to this. And it was in a conversation with a friend of mine, Stanley Young, who was the former CEO of Nisey Technologies. And we're talking about blockchain. And it wasn't even five minutes into the conversation and all the lights started going on. I immediately knew that this is something that is just incredible and it's going to change the world and particularly the world of finance and that I needed to be a part of this. And that was sort of the genesis of, uh, of Noble Markets. We've had a lot of these exchanges in Bitcoin land. Mount Gox, you know, don't get goxed, don't get stamped. I've got a friend, he actually builds, it's called coinreporting.com, and you upload your trading history and he calculates all your taxable gains and losses. And he's kept a list of all the failed exchanges. And he, he says it's like 50 already. The graveyard is just littered with exchanges that have failed or gone under or, or absconded with customer funds or had a security issue, all of these things. And so you're bringing a very professional background to this. You've run the ISP. You've done some computer networking. You've worked at the big major banks and financial institutions in exchanges. What is this news with NASDAQ? How are you going to bring all of this experience to bear in helping build out this ecosystem in Bitcoin, particularly with the exchanges, which is one of the most important, critical parts in our ecosystem? You know, absolutely. Exchanges serve as the on-ramps and off-ramps onto the Bitcoin highway. And if people can't get on and off securely, then you're not going to be able to bring in a lot more participants and make it usable by the majority of of the world, right? And, and particularly companies that still represent the largest volumes of transactions in, in any asset class or market, they need to have secure entry points. The relationship with NASDAQ is great in several ways. One, because it gives a lot of firms, even you know, the big investment banks, comfort. NASDAQ's in there, so now we can get involved. It's the old days, like you never get fired buying IBM. Uh, so that, that brings credibility to Bitcoin for those that are looking at from the capital markets. We're excited to have them as a partner because they're very innovative in the technology. And we know there are things that exchanges need that don't exist today in the current exchanges. And with NASDAQ, we get 20 years of experience running 100 of the biggest exchanges around the world, paying trillions of dollars every day. We get to bring that to bear to Bitcoin on day one. If you look at the challenges that the exchanges happened. And, you know, it's funny because when I said I'm going to start an exchange, people started to me and they say, John, you're crazy. There's like a dozen exchanges out there. And I said, actually, if you look, there's probably several hundred of them. <laughs> and then they looked at me as if I'm really crazy. I said, well, look, um, the key to success in this and certainly from, you know, the, the important lessons we learned, Morgan and Goldman, when we were building and, and, and really taking electronic trading to that next level was it's not that problems don't happen. It's your ability to identify them and resolve them and address them in a timely manner that sets the errors apart from the zeros. Customer service is very important. The other thing that we spoke about earlier was market structure, right? And market structure, you know, people, there's a lot of emphasis when people are making claims about being regulated exchanges, where that's a misnomer because being able to open a bank account legally is not the definition of an exchange. 
definition of an exchange is a fair and orderly market where the participants behave in a prescribed manner, where there are market rules, things that impact the pricing, the types of trades that go on there, and making sure that there are people who are monitoring those and taking action to make sure that people are trading in a way that doesn't infringe or take away from the others that they're trading against. And these takes tools, it takes skills, it takes process to be able to identify these. It takes the ability to uh, engage with those participants and understanding is this intentional, is it unintentional, uh, and, and really have a focus around market structure because having a fair and orderly market is incredibly important. One of the things that's been holding back a lot of these institutions is they got to know ultimately that the venue that they're dealing with, that the participants are at the same level of standards that they are. And it's not to say that you have to be a you know a Goldman or Morgan to be on the other side of that, but that everyone's operating to the same sets of standards of the quality, the types of trades, and that there's real business going on. And there's a lot of talk about different exchanges where you know it might be considered gambling or price manipulation or a lot of activities coming in. So we saw that partly through market structure rules and having a team that that specialises at, at looking at that and enforcing that. But also, what is the transparency that we can create that in um, that demonstrates to the market? The market can understand what's going on. This means that your market data feeds, you know, that it shows what are the types of counterparties that's going on. If an exchange is doing a trade, you know that it's the exchange doing a trade. There can't be any. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice to know right now? <laughs> you, know, you know, you know that if someone from the exchange is it's trading true. against you. If someone's a market maker or if someone's just an agency trade, what's going on there? And, the ability to have a new level of information and information that you can trust, um, I think is important because the market can see and respond accordingly and make sure that they're not trading against toxic counterparties. You know, kind of tied right along with this, you're, you're based out of New York. We've got this bit license, but the bit license seems to focus very much on the last mile to use the, the ISP terminology. You know, it's focused on these kind of small retail uh, actors protecting them as opposed to dealing with the big fiber uh, backbones. Is that really kind of how you see yourself being positioned in uh, the Bitcoin exchange market? You're going to be a big fiber backbone that someone like a circle could hook into you and create that last mile or, or something along those lines? Absolutely. I think that, I think that that's a, a, a fair comparison. You know, our, our view is to work with the existing exchanges and whether you're an ATM operator uh, one of the aggregators, the cash to coin companies, the, any of the retail businesses and the existing exchanges to see us as an infrastructure provider, a backbone where they can have market structure. We know how to operate this. We'll provide it to them. We'll not compete against their customers, but yet give them and their customers the benefit of a sound market that's, that's well managed. So that helps us uh, really bring better transparency to the price discovery of what a Bitcoin should be worth. I mean, right now, and you know, the last probably three years has been very difficult for people to assess what a Bitcoin should be worth. Largely, I think, because the exchanges have been uh, just not quite up to these NASDAQ type standards. They, I mean, we just don't have 20 years of experience running major exchanges, you know, in the Bitcoin space yet. Absolutely. And I think even following on to that is because of the lack of connectivity between exchanges today, um, the only people that benefit from the fragmentation are those that have the sophisticated uh, infrastructures and the balance sheets 
to be able to have accounts in all the exchanges and to be able to take advantage of that arbitration. It does not benefit the man on the street who needs to buy or sell Bitcoin or a company that needs to use Bitcoin. And there are significant price disparities out there. So are there any uh, kind of comments on the bit license, anything that they haven't focused on that perhaps they should? I mean, what are your general thoughts on it since it's going to be largely affecting you? Because Bitcoin came largely out of, say, consumer adoption and because of the big problems like Mt. Gox and BitInstant and BitInstant have, have affected consumers and have been around money laundering transactions, that has been where the regulation has focused. And although it's important to do that, if you come from the capital markets, those kinds of things are table stakes that we begin with and not have to find out after the fact of the regulators have shut us down. But regulation should focus around market structure. If you're talking about trading, if you're talking about the definition of an exchange, it is around market structure. I know a lot of people in the Bitcoin community you know, aren't favors of a lot of the things in the existing financial system as well as regulation. But there's a good reason why they're there. We might not like what they represent today, but it's because human nature is to act in your self-interest and they are bad actors. And particularly when you use computers, people can act in an outsized manner that impact others. And so as a result, regulations come in and they tend to come in after the fact. Well, the greasy wheel gets to squeak, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, so to the extent that we can be proactive show that we can be well self-managed and we can set the charge on what these rules look like and work together as an industry to develop things that provide protections and that are in a workable manner and then do that in conjunction with the regulators that they're comfortable with what we're doing. And certainly in that from Noble's perspective and partly the benefit of working with companies like NASDAQ is what we're providing to the regulators of things that they're familiar with in terms of whether it's the reporting, the structures, the terminology that they're using and the individuals that they're doing business with so that they can be comfortable if we're proposing and saying, look, we can be lighter on regulation on this area. Let's focus on the regulation on this area. And let's make sure that we have, you know, and, and also understanding that, you know, we could try and create, you know, tight regulation. And like say, you know, regulation is like trying to hold water in your hand in this day and age. Finance, Bitcoin, um, you know, the internet, everything is digital and globally portable. And if you're trying to draw water to your state or to your country, you think you put your hands together like a cup and you'll be able to hold the water. If you try and squeeze it in a fist, it's going to squeeze through your fingers. And so we need the right balance to say, look, this is a safe place to come and do business, but we're not repelling business. And I think bit license is a start, but I think it's heavily consumer focused. And, you know, I foresee that there are going to be regulations that are coming out and new agencies that already deal with financial companies or certainly on the trading and the capital market side that will get involved in and create additional meaningful regulation where it's missing. Yeah, because like you said, it, you try to squeeze too hard on it and it might go somewhere else. The Isle of Man, they're passing the legislation actually uh, really soon here. They want to keep crime out. Uh, protect customer funds. Those are their two prongs. They're giving the regulators uh, specific authority over Bitcoin, uh, cryptocurrency uh, type assets. Uh, so that's going to be exciting. Uh, and they've already drawn like 60 startups over there to the Isle of Man. And, uh, and London's also another big hub. So, I mean, New York really could kind of lose its position if it's too tight on this fledgling innovative industry. Yeah, I mean, look, regulation can help Bitcoin in a lot of ways. And certainly if we look at the U.S., companies in the U.S. have been afraid to get on board because they don't understand what the regulatory landscape is. And you can't blame them. 
you know, the fines would be massive for banks if, if they're acting in this gray area and there's not a lot of money to be made. Of course, they're going to be risk averse. Absolutely. But if there are regulations and they're sensible and they're easy to implement, then at least everybody knows where they stand, what they're doing is by board. And they know, more importantly, what they need to do to be able to participate. Uh, one of the things that is because Bitcoin itself is really a currency, and a lot of the regulation is what deals with currency, and particularly with dealing with retail, I think we are going to see a new set of regulators that we're going to need to work with. And to the large extent, the CFTC has been very proactive on this uh, as we want to start taking advantage of other types of asset classes. And I think that as an industry, I'd encourage everyone who is in the space, you know, to make sure that, you know, this is not a model where we can ask for forgiveness instead of permission. And there are also existing structures that are applicable. So don't fight regulation, um, you know, leverage regulation to your advantage uh, to build your business. It's not all bad, but we do know it can be cumbersome. But if we are not proactive on this, it's going to be a lot more cumbersome. Well, and if Bitcoin's going to become a major player where Apple's holding it on their balance sheet as part of their cash, then it's going to need to be clear how it's treated. And if Apple alone were to hold just 2% of their cash in Bitcoin, it would be more than the market cap of Bitcoin currently. And there just aren't that many saleable Bitcoins to get a hold of at current prices, <laughs> which means that people got to come to normal markets and buy a bunch of them. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, when we're when we're kind of talking about Bitcoin, it's got to be fun. There's a ton of entertainment value. What's a what's a just kind of a fun story that, that you'd like to share with the audience uh, with your experience in this wild and crazy area? I think um, what's really interesting in Bitcoin, see a lot of the feedback and what people say that's in there. And there's a lot of questions. Who is this John Betts guy? And, you know, just because they don't know me, all of a sudden I'm sort of a suspicious character and Although this is a joke that fell a little flat last year, but you know, some people when I was involved with Save Gox, the people saying he's the inventor of Goldman Sachs and just some of the outlandish <laughs> oh, statements that you read out there. And I find that you know, Reddit's better than Comedy Central sometimes. <laughs> and I mean, you, you've got to have absolute definitive proof uh, on Reddit. It, it, Someone had uh, spliced a picture of Brock Pierce and me together, and they're like, has anybody actually seen these two together at a conference? Are they different people? <laughs> I was like, I don't like that much like Brock, but whatever. <laughs> so it's, it's definitely, uh, it is definitely kind of fun. And it's fun to, you know, we, we're all part of in, in this community together, and we, we do row shoulders with each other at the conferences. It's, uh, there's a lot of camaraderie that does come from uh, just our unique culture that we've got as a result of that. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I was, in, I was just about to bring that up. And I think, you know, out of all the industries that I've been into, I don't think I've been in an industry where there's been that much camaraderie, um, even against competitors, people who are in the, you know, creating competing businesses same field or disjointed businesses just across the industry people want to help out you know i have good relationships with uh, a lot of the owners and operators of the other exchanges um you know there's there's really a good sense of let we're in this together and let's build this together to be something to realize the potential that we all believe in right and you know yes there are some people who like to argue and it's a bit like a monty python scene sometimes <laughs> i'm not dead yet <laughs> how many times did gox say that <laughs> yeah. or is this a five dollar argument or a ten dollar argument i mean there really is there's there's a lot of that in there but i think what's what's really encouraging is how do we work together to 
for this to realize the, the full potential that's in there. Do you think some of that's just uh, how the economics are set up? I mean, owning Bitcoins are kind of like owning an ETF over the whole space, kind of like an index fund. And so, you know, if, if, if I've got a Bitcoin or two and you're very successful with noble markets, it'll add value and utility to the Bitcoins. Hopefully the price goes up as a result of that. So as our competitors are successful, it actually uh, could benefit anybody who's holding Bitcoins. I think it's bigger than that, right? Uh, there is what Bitcoin represents in the world, right? And yes, you know, if you have a business, it's about dollars and cents or Bitcoins, right? And, and, and you're returning the value that you're creating. But we're creating a change in the world and how we work together as a world. And there's two things that we need in the, in, in the world to survive in this day and age, which is oxygen and you need cash. And it's very hard to survive without either of those. But it, because it's so important that's in there and we have these structures today that haven't evolved with how we as a society have evolved and because there's a lot of disparity in, 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 in societies where in the capital markets, you know, if only if you got $236,000, could you buy a Berkshire A and be able to share on the same returns that Warren Buffett does? And then the people who can't even get bank accounts. And so there's a lot of elements that are altruistic in terms of, say, dealing with the unbanked, there's a lot of new cool products and technologies that are being built that's very exciting, that, that are very self-empowering for people. But if we think of putting Berkshire A in a crypto security, yes, you could buy Berkshire B for $3,400, but that still puts it out of the reach of most, most people. Put that into a crypto token divisible to the eighth decimal like Bitcoin, you could buy 50 cents of Berkshire A, and you could be an unbanked person, and you could be getting the same percentage returns as Warren Buffett. You don't have to be part of the people that fall into these traps with payday loan lenders, paying high interest rates, and then using remittance providers that take another 10, 15% of them. And all that money that we're saving, we're not just saving, we can help them for the first time start investing and getting out of that rat race and start getting financial returns, which have only been available to the largest players in the markets today. Yeah, building, you know, hopefully a much better world in the future. You know, just like China's massively polluting our, our atmosphere, just uh, like a lot of other countries have in the past or are currently. Uh, so likewise, our money and our currency has uh, become toxic. And Bitcoin really does shine a light on a lot of that. Cryptographically provable, divisible, portable, durable, uh, all of these things that really allow for this capital accumulation that you talk about, even to the unbanked person in Kenya, right? But what's really interesting, if you read uh, Michael Casey and Paul Vigna's book, as an example... The Age of Cryptocurrency? Yeah. It talks about money and wealth. And there are a lot of things in life that we've just accepted. And I'm sure there are things our parents accepted and their parents just accepted and, and so on and so forth before then. And every generation, we kind of learn more, become more aware of the things that we've taken for granted and don't put up with things that don't meet our needs or that need to change with the times. And I think finance is one of those things that is prime for innovation. And I think what Bitcoin is doing is it's making people more aware of money, of wealth, of their personal responsibility as part of that process and how they can self-empower and not have to give it off to third parties to do for them. And I think that education and the more we're educated about all the aspects of our life and take personal self-control over that, I think that is a message that's going to benefit us and generations to come. 
Well, I know that was at least personally one of my primary drivers for funding the Armory wallet was I wanted people to be able to take direct control of their private keys because that free open source software would act like a sentinel on any uh, parties that want to hold private keys for people because you can always take them into your Armory wallet. So, you know, it's great to, to meet another like mind that kind of understands just how important it is to have possession of your private keys of wealth and also to distribute those private keys among the holders of that wealth. But also to understand about what money means and what wealth creation means and how we can participate. You know, I think Bitcoin has created a whole new generation of traders, of people who are watching the price, people that might not have you know, had accounts at the broker and bought Apple. But they're trading Bitcoin and they're learning about how the market's worth and they're working about investing and they're learning about saving because they want to think Bitcoin's going up. So they'll get some and they'll save it. Plus they're using it. Right? And these are important. <laughs> and, these are, and these are like 10 year old kids in some cases. Absolutely. I mean, I, I know several. Time to learn, yeah. yeah, I know several. I edited this uh, book, Bitcoin for Kids. It was written by a couple of 12 year old, 12 and 13 year old girls. And, you know, they, they spotlighted some kids, multimillionaires in Bitcoins. They're 11 years old programming in Python and stuff like that. I mean, imagine what the, these kids are going to be able to do having learned all these lessons so early in their life. Absolutely. There's a lot of studies that, for example, if you sort of investing in your 401k and if you put $1,000 a year away starting when you're 20 versus different ages in your life, and if you started it when you're, when you're 20 and by the time you were 60, I think over 80% of your portfolio would be the returns generated in the first $1,000 you put in when you were 20. And if we can bring that earlier and get people to understand that, uh, no, I'm not saying we want kids to be adults at the age of five and not enjoy well, yeah, life. But they, they, the life, they but can understand their, their, their money. They can yeah. understand how the, the principles of savings, you know, because uh, we have now this equity-based monetary system that encourages savings, encourages capital accumulation and uh, growth and things of that nature. And I think it's important for everybody to, to have that. And I said, it just goes back to reinforce that what this represents is more than a currency. It, it impacts everywhere of our life. Uh, there's awareness, there's things we haven't even thought of yet, which is really exciting. So there's plenty of opportunity for innovation. But the more we become aware of our society and what's around us and we participate in that, the more we can shape that for a better future for all and make sure that, you know, and I think with the internet broke down a lot of barriers. We say the last mile, one connectivity, but now you could start having friends around the world and communicate to them as if they're sitting next door to you or as a lot of people do, text each other across the table, uh, you know, where this is is creating business opportunities around the world. It's creating we create impact and product and services and be able to do that in, in the financial space, uh, provided obviously we do this responsibly. Um, I, I think it's, it's an incredibly exciting time to, to be alive and be around. Well, it's wonderful. We're kind of right there at the edge of our time limit for the podcast. We don't want people stuck in uh, listening too long. But uh, thanks so much for, for coming in here. Noble Markets, you're, you're definitely a competitor to Kraken and welcome you to the space. I, I wish you all the best of success because I have a similar uh, thought. You know, your success really is going to help contribute to the success of our entire industry. And I'm very excited that you've uh, been able to ink this deal with NASDAQ. So uh, we've had John Betts, CEO and founder of Noble Markets. Uh, thanks for being with us. Thank you. And I'd just like to say, not competitor to Kraken, you know, 
service provider to crack service provider yeah somewhere around there it'll be good Get a copy of the free Bitcoin guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn. Don't be shy. To help the show, share bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate.